The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Uh, if people don't understand correctly what the Eucharist is and what it means to receive Holy Communion, they will have no idea why some people should not be seen. Uh, so we need a lot of catechism. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Yeah, no kidding. We'll talk much more about that today. That was Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione talking about the Eucharist. We'll talk more about Eucharistic coherence at the Bishop's Conference with uh, J.D. Flynn a little bit later in this hour. He's from the Pillar. They've been doing a phenomenal job uh, tracking uh, movements within the church. Uh, and we'll, 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 uh, we'll tap into him on that, too. I, I'm curious about what they're finding now. Uh, so feel free to join me. We, we've got a lot to get into. A lot of people have been sending me emails on a conversation I had about depression and suicide last week. And I'll tell you what, we're going to replay part of that for you today. So I know it ran in the first hour last week. Um, I, I think it's such a great conversation. Uh, a little later today, if you have somebody who's struggling with depression or suicidal thoughts, Holy Father came out and spoke about this issue. We'll run it in the last hour of our broadcast today, just so you can get a feel for what's going on. But let me bring you up to speed on what's happening here. Some big news, of course, over the last few weeks uh, coming out of Glasgow, Scotland, and uh We've touched on this briefly, but I think it deserves a little more analysis. Uh, world leaders have been meeting, of course, to try and reach an agreement on curbing the use of fossil fuels, and they want to do that in order to cut carbon emissions. And it was reported over the weekend that they had reached an agreement, right? They believe that cutting those emissions, it's going to keep the rise in the world's temperatures below two degrees Celsius, which... You know, the consensus of scientists, they say, hey, that is the absolute max that the earth is able to handle. If we go beyond that, then it's catastrophic. Uh, numerous leaders jetted in for the conference, right? Two weeks ago, they took off again. They gave their speeches, uh, leaving the negotiations to be done by their staff members. A lot of people criticized that, saying, hey, you know, what's the carbon footprint? You know, the president had 85 cars when he went to see the Pope. You know, take a look at all these jets flying in and out. Yeah, I don't think that's fair. I think they do have to get there. Uh, they are world leaders, uh, but it is kind of ironic in some respects. I don't know how people expect them to get there for these meetings, but uh, I, I, again, I always want to be on the right side of the issue. I want to be on the moral side of the issue. And I do think we are stewards of the environment. I do think we have a duty to make sure that um, you know we do not exploit this great gift of the, of the planet that God has, has given to us. We're stewards over God's creation here. Um, so I think, you know, if we can carve our carbon emissions, that's great. The problem is, where, when does it cross a line to being political, politically driven or power driven? And that's what we always have got to be a, 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 on the lookout. The, the agreement that was reached is a compromise. It's a compromise for what the United Nations really wanted. The U.S. wanted an agreement to just absolutely eliminate all fossil fuels. They just want to do away with fossil fuels and cut back on, on emissions so that the temperatures would only rise. They think we did that up to about 1.5 degrees Celsius. And, and for wealthier countries to to send, you know, trillion, I think, was, I think the number I saw was $1.3 trillion to developing nations so that they could deal with the climate change and, and for a deal to start you know, what they call carbon trading between companies. They got the last one, right? The last one they got. Probably because it will help line the pockets of big companies. But on fossil fuels, I knew that was not going to go anywhere. A lot of developing countries like India, 
they can't afford. They just can't afford to cut their their reliance on fuels like like coal, simply because it would further impoverish, you know, send their people to, to poverty. Uh, so they got a call for what they call a phase down of coal dependence. That's uh, very interesting. The word I love words. You know that the phase down instead of phase out. That was the language we was using. We want to phase out fossil fuels. We want to phase out coal. Now it's a a phase down. And of course, Russia, China, uh, they're not committing to the same levels that we are here in this particular country. And it brings me to local poli- lo- local. I should say national politics. Uh, you know, Joe Manchin. Uh, think about West Virginia. Uh, th- think about the fossil fuels. Think about the the carbon. Think about the you know the the coal. Um, that his state is dependent on, you know, and he's such a key figure in what's now being debated in the social spending bill that is uh, being bantered about on on Capitol Hill. So uh, there is a there's certainly an attack on this, but there are some pundits out there who will argue, look, in order to go green, in order to go electric, they've got to make the cost of your fuel so pricey, so expensive, heating your home, driving your car, it's got to be so costly that the trade to electric vehicles and to these alternative methods is much more palpable. I mean, look at how high gasoline has gone already this year alone. And, and, and Patrick, you said what, it was $5 in some place? I think on the West Coast it was $5. Patrick Alog and I were talking about this before the program. He says five, over $5 in some place. Um, that's crazy. I remember, I forget when this was. It was probably eight years ago, maybe. Maybe not quite that. Remember when gas prices were super high? I mean, they were ridiculous. They were through. Um, I had four kids uh, with uh, five kids who had their licenses, but you know, four of them were in high school at the same time. And I just looked at my gas bill. If it wasn't my wife driving them, they were driving a car and, and just, we were paying $4 in some cents a gallon back then. Uh, this is, we're on the increase. I, I would not be surprised. You're not going to see gas prices come down. And I do not understand the argument that let's spend more money. Let's pump trillions of more dollars into the economy to, to fight inflation. That's not how it works. The Trump administration spent trillions for that first, you know, PPP bailout, uh, and people needed it and it helped because we were in a pandemic for a long time. Uh, the Biden administration came out with a second one on the Hill that another, you know, trillion plus, um, and, and now we see what's happening. You know, people didn't work, and we've got a lot of dollars chasing fewer goods. You've got inflation. So uh, it, it's it's going to be a mess for a little bit. I hope we get this right. You know, the, the UN, uh, as I said, they wanted to just eliminate fossil fuels. That, that will not happen. I, I, don't, I don't see that happening in the not-too-distant future, but we'll see. You know, we'll, we'll see what ultimately develop, develops on the spending issue. The, the wealthy nations... Uh, simply agreed to continue spending $100 billion on developing nations, money that they've already agreed to back in, in Paris. And, you know, the desire to cut emissions got nowhere near what the organizers want. So uh, this is still a battle. And let's see how the data plays out. Again, I, I always want to be on the right side of the issue. I, I, I About being a good steward, if there's a way you can reduce your carbon footprint, you know, I wish there was some cost-effective way to, to uh, you know, allow people to survive and to function and society to continue to operate without the eradication of fossil fuels altogether. You know, the Holy Father has spoken a lot uh, about climate change as well, and this is something that he is very passionate about as well. So we'll continue to follow this. We'll continue to monitor it. We'll look at it in the days ahead. There's a lot going to be uh, unfolded. Uh, over the weekend, 
uh, the FBI's computers got hacked. Did you hear about that? And whoever did it used the system to send out massive amounts of spam. And these were real emails. I, I, I saw a report where hackers managed to send out emails to 100,000 emails, right? 100,000 of them. All of which were, were scraped from the, uh, the American Registry for you know, Internet databases. And apparently it was a, a movement to defame one person and make him look like you know, he was the guy who did it. But the FBI, uh, they took the hardware down and then they were able to see you know, where the attack actually came from. So uh, if you got one of those, again, the lesson is don't open anything that does not come from a legitimate web address, right? Don't do it. Uh, one final story here, too. This U.S. Supreme Court, they're going to be hearing an assisted suicide case in February of next year. And uh, that could legalize the procedure in the base state. A, a doctor is suing the state for not letting another doctor write a prescription so that the first one, you know, can kill herself. So um, I just hope they figure all this out correctly. It's it's um, it's honestly sad, isn't it? It's really quite problematic to say the least. So um, I'll tell you, I'm going to uh, I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, Ed Condon is going to be joining us. As I was sharing with you, we've been covering the work that they have been doing recently, and they've been doing phenomenal work. Uh, they have, if you go to the it's the pillar dot dot com. It's uh, pillar dot com is actually the website I should say. Um, uh, no, let me get it right. I always get this website so wrong. It's pillarcatholic.com, right, Patrick? Am I getting it right? Pillarcatholic.com, right? Pillarcatholic.com. It's called the pillar. No, I, I subscribe to it. I would encourage you to do the same thing. I think we need to support uh, good organizations that are out there doing the front thing. It's it's interesting also just on a side note how things have changed, isn't it? In, in the world of subscriptions. I mean, you used to be able to access USA Today or whatever the magazine, Wall Street Journal, you know, whatever it was out there. Now I've got subscriptions to the Wall Street Journal. I got it to the Pillar. I've got it to all these different places. Uh, a lot of news is not free. And and I think about the big guys that are out there doing this. So if if we can help the, the little guys that are really doing good journalistic work, I think that will be phenomenal. I want to talk a little bit about uh, what's uh, happening in our nation right now, especially with our, our bishops, the bishop's document on the Eucharist. We'll take a look at that. And uh, is everyone in favor? What does it mean? And uh, we'll take a look at that and a whole lot more when I return. So if you want to join me, here's the number two anytime. It's 888-914-9149. 914 Back with more right after this. All the issues, all the topics, one place. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Now. On Relevant Radio. Right now. On Relevant Radio. Hey, thanks for joining me. Good to be here this afternoon with you, trying to give you a look at life through the eyes of our faith, getting you plugged into what's happening internationally, nationally, here at home, and of course, within the church. And uh, you know, I, I know that your mainstream media and those outlets don't always give you the coverage of what's happening within the, the Catholic Church, and I'm delighted to be able to at least cover some of this and give you a perspective on it. And I thought we'd look a little bit today what the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops is doing. They're actually in a meeting today. They're in Baltimore, and it's a meeting that 
Well, how do I say this? It's uh, it's being deeply scrutinized by themselves and by the media. And and what's the big agenda they're they're scrutinizing? What's the biggest agenda on on the uh, what's the biggest item on the agenda? I should say, uh, it's the contents of a document on the Eucharist. And I've been saying this to you, and I'll continue to say it. I really believe this is going to be the big issue of the next twenty-four to thirty-six months. We're going to see a Eucharistic revival in this country, and I personally think we're going to see a lot of grace and a lot of fruit coming from it. Uh, of course, the media, you know, the speculation has said that the document is really aimed at, uh, you know, they look everything through the eyes of a, of a political lens, don't they, right? Uh, they see this document as being you know, aimed at the president, at President Joe Biden and other Catholic politicians, Nancy Pelosi and and others, anybody who supports uh, abortion access. And many of these people have been extremely vocal. If you're like me, you know how frustrated, how frustrating as a Catholic it can be. Here's somebody who wants to rattle the rosary beads and claim that they are a good Catholic, right? The Pope said I'm a good Catholic. And then advance something that is so diametrically opposed to everything uh, that our faith is about. You know, the dignity of the human person, life, um, and uh, to advance a culture of death is, is you know, it's, well, it's, it's wrong. Um, and, uh, you know, they feel they should have access to Holy Communion. Uh, but, you know, that's not what the do- document is actually about. Uh, because of the controversial nature of the document, the bishops held uh, what they call a closed-door executive session today. So instead of uh, on the very last day of the other meetings, they usually do. Um, so, you know, a little bit, a little bit of different activity going on. The document's supposed to be about what the bishops have termed Eucharistic coherence, living our lives in a way that's consistent with the Eucharist uh, and what it demands of us as Catholics so that you are worthy to receive communion. I mean, we have to, this is something that's lost. I hope this is something that's really looked at in the days ahead too. Worthy reception. And look, I'll take the plank out of my own eye before I take the speck out of, out of yours or anyone else, but... How frequently do you get to confession? How frequently do you try to disengage from sin or things that lead you away from Christ, from the attachments of the world? Are you predisposed to really receiving our Lord? Do you receive him worthily? I don't know if people do. I think they take it for granted. And we know that, what, 70%, 73%, whatever the number is, you know, fluctuates just slightly. But, you know, almost 75% of Catholics don't believe in the true presence. I always have a problem even saying that. I have a real problem saying it, to be honest with you. But um, if you don't believe Christ is truly present, of course, what's the matter whether you're in a state of sin or not when you receive the Eucharist? But, you know, the very concept of being worthy to receive our Lord is something that came under attack for many years uh, with some some catechists even telling their children when teaching them, you know, the prayer before communion, you know, you don't actually have to say that because, uh, of course, you're worthy to receive communion. It's this whole kind of liberal mindset that came out. Um, well, that's, that's that's just going to be one of the things that the bishops are going to have to overcome. And, and while it's not the focus of the document, the whole problem of abortion downing politicians, that's going to be a key issue because uh, that's going to have to be addressed as well. Uh, let's talk about it today. If you want to join me, you are more than welcome to get on board. The number here is triple eight nine one four. 9149 I am joined today by uh, Ed Condon. He is the co-founder of that new Catholic website I was t- talking about. It's called The Pillar, but 
Jot this down, okay? And I always stumble for some reason over it. It's it's PillarCatholic.com. PillarCatholic.com. It's a great organization, a great publication, great journalistic work is being done there. And uh, you can check them out. Ed, of course, has been with me in the past. He's a, a practicing canon lawyer and uh, has got uh, some some chops when it comes to uh, you know his journalistic uh, prowess. His secular titles include everything from the Washington Post to the National Review to the Spectator, and he's here today. Good to have you back, Ed. Good afternoon. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate having you. We've been talking uh, over the past few days uh, about the study that the pillar is doing and i just uh, i want to commend you on that up front before we even you go any further i just think that has been uh it's been profound uh what you're doing and i know it was a series that has run and i'm assuming people can go and um catch up on anything that they might have hissed, uh, missed we had brendan hodge on with us several times um what what has the response been to this study of of catholics and and the church well it's been a pretty positive one i think it you know, we we spend a lot of time in the church. I think uh, engaging in, I, I think broadly constructive self examination. You know, and part of what the bishops are in Baltimore to talk about this week involves. You know, you were mentioning earlier Eucharistic revival and things like that, and really tailoring how the church orients itself to live its mission, both internally in terms of forming Catholics and how we how we practice our faith in our daily lives, but also externally how the church is a missionary witness in the world. All of this is, I, I think and I hope, aided by having a good self-understanding. And polls like the one we did on religious attitudes and practices, uh, not just of Catholics, but of you know, uh, Americans broadly, I think it's an important contribution we can make to making the conversation informed about where is the Church going, how does the Church best and most authentically execute its mission in the world today. So I, I've, we've had a lot of positive feedback. I, I hope we'll be able to do it again. Yeah, I hope you do, too. I like it. I, I find those studies telling and revealing. And uh, if you want to check it out, PillarCatholic.com. And, uh, yeah, gosh, so much to talk about here with you, too. And I, I want to get into what's happening right now with the bishops. Uh, and, and you know, you follow this stuff pretty closely. It could be inside baseball for some people. But I'm curious as to why the bishops were going into executive session, you know, on the very first day. What was it? They just didn't want coverage of what they were talking about in the mainstream media right now, or, or what does that say? Well, it's very unusual. I mean, they usually end these sessions, and I think they will end right. the one this week with executive session where they get to talk privately, and I think it's important for bishops to have that space where the cameras aren't rolling and people like me aren't sitting there jotting down every word they say and every exchange they have. You know, and I think an important part of a healthy fraternal relationship for the bishops is having a, a time where they're all together and they can speak frankly. Um, and, you know, if they if they are speaking and behaving like brothers, sometimes brothers have, you know, got some stuff they want to get off their chest to each other, and you don't necessarily want that to leave the family. Um, what they talked about this morning, we don't know, because as you say, it was a closed session. It is very unusual. I can't think of it ever happening before that they start a conference week with an executive session. Um, you know, it would seem, I think, most likely to me that what they were doing was giving themselves a space to hash out any differences they may have behind closed doors before they really get going. You know, in June we saw, you know, a fairly unedifying spectacle of them having a, a more than an hour-long floor fight just trying to approve the agenda. Um, and, you know, everyone wants to see healthy and, to an extent, unvarnished debate amongst the bishops, especially on points of division uh, that they have, because, you know, 
we all know they don't agree about everything, and I and I think we feel as Catholics more respected and um, you know more included in in the workings of our church when we when we see bishops you know living that reality in public where that is the reality. But on the other hand, there's a line between healthy and honest to public debate and and just sort of unseemly squabbling. So I think probably what this morning's or I should say this early afternoon's executive session probably focused on was an attempt by the bishops to quietly agree amongst themselves that they weren't going to fight in front of the kids quite so much this time. Uh, I love the way you put it. I, I agree. This is this is pretty, you know, this is a divisive issue. And, and why not close the door and, and, you know, lay it all out the way you want, and then, then you can approach it a little bit differently? Because I, I thought there were some bishops who, uh, I know there is some division amongst, you know, how they how they view this right now. Um, who was I thinking of? I think it was um, Bishop Stowe. He wasn't in favor of this Eucharistic document. Um, where are the bishops on this? And I know that there's this big campaign to be on, you know, be launched in 2022 to bring a revival to the Eucharist. And look, Ed, I'm, I'm hopeful. I, I think this is a really good thing for the church. I think it's an incredible thing for the country. We're going to see the fruit of this bear out as people really begin to get misconceptions cleared, devotion intensifies, understanding deepens. Only good fruit is going to come from from all that, um, you know. In in my opinion, in terms of the division, I want to be careful about saying that, but I'm sure there's different, you know, uh, approaches uh, to this. Um, how do you think that's all shaking out? What do you think is going to come out of all this? I, it's, I don't know if you can even answer that. Well, I think there is going to be a much more um, conciliatory public tone in the debate on the draft document when it does come to the floor. Uh, I think the bishops will be very conscious that they don't want to be seen to be fighting with each other in public. Fighting is distinct from, you know, having a healthy and honest debate, even on points of difference. I, I think where we will really see how far we've come from June is when there is the final vote uh, on adopting this document. You know, you mentioned the Eucharistic Revival, and I think it's important to point out that, you know, the Eucharistic Revival Program, which I think is excellent, and I think is exactly the sort of thing the Bishops' Conference uh, hopefully be very successful at doing. You know, the teaching document of the Eucharist is really a, a sort of hand-in-hand part of that, that to have the sort of practice, you also need the teaching, that this is, you know, how the Church functions. And it's true that there has been this discussion of Eucharistic worthiness and, you know, Eucharistic coherence. We've got all these sort of slightly ticklish ways of saying without saying um, Catholics who shouldn't necessarily be taking communion because of the state of sin or grace. Now, you know, it's worth noting that that's not in the draft document, really. There's discussion, a healthy discussion, of the Church's teaching on the sacrament of penance and the appropriate order in which we receive the sacraments in terms of going to confession before approaching the Eucharist when, when we're conscious of grave sin. And, you know, there's, I think there's definitely a place for that within the teaching document on the Eucharist. But this isn't fundamentally a political document um, about the President or Nancy Pelosi or anyone else. They certainly aren't named. Politicians as a group aren't singled out in there. Um, but there has been a lot of discussion about that. And I think a telling example of how that has come to overshadow what the document actually is and is for and says is you mentioned Bishop Stowe. He gave an interview last week in which he said, and I don't think I'm paraphrasing him too too much here, um, that he had a lot of concerns with the idea in the draft of drafting of a document in June. Those concerns have broadly been met in the eventual draft that's been produced, but he still doesn't support the document because effectively he thinks it's too loaded with political significance now. Right. And I think that says a lot about um, how 
the bishops have not exactly been able to be clear with themselves and also with the wider church and also the secular media about what this document is and is for. If you've got a bishop who's saying, yes, everything that's in the document is fine, but I'm still not going to support it because people won't read it. They'll just assume things about it. And I think it's a terrible shame. Yeah. You know, there's confusion, too, even after Joe Biden went to Rome and met with Pope Francis and came out and said he was a good Catholic. And, you know, part of the, the, the angst amongst a lot of Catholics is Joe Biden touts his Catholicism, and yet he you know, conducts his life, or at least the policies that he champions, um, in a way that's diametrically opposed to, you know, what the teachings of the church are, are all about. There's a lot of confusion out there. I, I think this has got to be sorted out. I, people are going to want to know as these next elections, uh, you know, uh, come about, you know, what's being done with these politicians? Should they receive the, the Eucharist? And it's not just about politicians. It's really about you and me, you know, a worthy reception, et cetera. But there's a lot of confusion o- over Joe Biden. What do you make of the statement that he was a good Catholic? Uh, do you think the Holy Father did indeed say that? I think there's a lot of context missing from uh, the president's account of his interview with the Holy Father. Uh, I, I think to understand exactly where you need to exercise some caution in, in taking the president's one-sentence response and sum up right. the whole meeting with the Pope uh, is, you know, he was asked, did the subject of abortion come up? And he said, no, it didn't come up. It came up. Uh, but only in the context of the Pope telling me what a good Catholic I am and I should keep receiving communion. Now, uh, either it came up or it didn't, and he said it both didn't come up and did come up, the subject of abortion, <laughs> um, which, you know, is he's saying no and then yes in quick succession. So, I, again, I feel like there's some necessary context missing there. Uh, and this idea that the Pope just told him what a good Catholic he was, and that was all he had to say about abortion, and that he should keep taking communion, well, that's just not the Pope Francis that we know. Um, the Pope has been extremely clear in recent weeks, I'm not even talking the last few months or years, but in the last few mm-hmm. weeks, the Pope has been very clear, reiterating that he considers abortion equivalent to contract murder. Right. Um, that's what Hiring he a hitman. Hiring yeah. a hitman. That's what he yeah. thinks it is. To the solve Pope's a problem. Also in the last, yeah. Well, and last month on, a, on his in-flight press conference coming home from Slovakia, the Pope said that politicians, Catholic politicians who promote abortion, uh, he called them excommunicated. That was the word he used, and said, of course, they couldn't receive communion because they're out of communion with the Church. Now, he pulled back on um, applying that to any individual politician. He was particularly asked about President Biden. He said, I don't know the details there. And this, for me, I think is the key to understanding what probably went on in that interview between Biden Uh and the Pope, is Pope Francis has always been very clear about two things, which is he's the Church is, and he is personally utterly opposed to the evil killing of the innocent, which is abortion, implacably opposed to it. And yep. at the same time, he's always said, the person who should be dealing with someone who is outside the lines of Church teaching on this is their local bishop, is their proper pastor. So I can totally see Pope Francis meeting with President Biden and telling him, well, you just do whatever it is your local bishop is telling you to do. Because I don't right. know you. I don't know your situation. I'm not your local pastor. That's right. for your bishop to And President Biden saying, well, my bishop's told me to do whatever. And the Pope saying, well, you do that then. That makes total sense to me. And that actually is yeah. a very consistent reading with the Pope on both a portion and how he likes to handle um, politicians. Because it would be an extraordinary thing for the Holy Father to wade in and say he was going to assume personal pastoral responsibility for a Catholic head of state. 
You're right, and it's such a great way. And thank you for clarifying it like that. And I think you're 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 probably right on the money. I mean, again, the Holy Father uh, won't say what actually was discussed, and as you also pointed out. Joe Biden, you know, um, only gave a one answer, you know, one sentence response uh, that he was in the Pope said he was a good Catholic. I, I think um, you're right. He, he wants his local ordinary, his, his own shepherd to to make sure that he is uh, he's doing what's right. This document that when it when it comes out, I, you know, it's not going to be done at the end of the week. Right. Is, my understanding is it won't be finalized until June of 2022. Is that is that correct? What, what's going to you know, when when is this going to be? available for scrutiny, if you will, well, well, for examination is a better word. Well, you could, I mean, the current draft, if it is available for examination uh, over the pillar right now, we've published the, the draft that was circulated amongst the bishops ahead of this meeting uh, the other week, so you can read it there. There will obviously be the chance for amendments to be offered this week, um, debate on other amendments and things, and then we'll have a vote at the end, and we'll see where that ends up. Maybe they they vote to say they want to revisit it again after further drafting and consultation in June next year, when they'll next meet, or maybe they vote to approve it now. You know, really anything's possible at this point. Um, I think if they voted to move it even further down the track, at a certain point, this becomes an elephant they just can't get off their back. And yeah. I wonder if there will be much appetite in the conference for having to revisit this document and this debate for a third time in a row in their sessions. And I, I don't know how how much enthusiasm there will be for that. That's a great great point. Yeah, just f- final thought on this, and we can talk about some other stuff. But what happens if they can't reach an agreement during this executive session? Uh, what happens then? Well, I don't think this executive session will have been about trying to reach an agreement on any particular um, resolution. I think it will be more about the bishops trying to reach an agreement about how they're going to conduct themselves during the public mm-hmm. sessions, how they will carry on their debate uh, when they come time to voting on the document, that sort of thing. And hopefully that kind of agreement, if that's what they were talking about, will hold. I mean, you know, let's be clear, they don't need a unanimous consensus to move this right. through. They're going to have a vote, and uh, the vote will be the result. And if the results in June last year are anything to go by, the, the drafting of this document enjoyed overwhelming support. And I think that the final draft that they arrive at after this week's deliberation will probably enjoy a similar margin of support, since it is, uh, if anything, less controversial in fact than it was in theory a few months ago. Right. Hey, um, on another note, there are a couple, I think, sainthood causes that are being considered this week as well. What do you know about them? Can you share anything? You are catching me on the hop there, Drew, I'm afraid, because we actually do have profiles of the two people who are up for servant of God's status. The USCCB will be voting on basically a sort of friendly act of affirmation as their causes go forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're not voting to approve okay. their cause or anything like that, but this is, you know, part of the sort of bishop's conference. Uh, if you like filing an amicus brief <laughs> on behalf yeah, of the Right, I get you. I got you. As they head to Rome. I'd love to tell you details about the two people who are up for it, but I'm afraid my colleague, J.D. Flynn, wrote about them this morning, and I haven't gotten around to reading it yet because I was well, writing something you, else myself. You know, it, it, it's a great opportunity for people to go to PillarCatholic.com and check it out. And on that note, too, people can go there free, right? I know there's subscription, and I advocate for that. I'm a subscriber. Um, but uh, explain a little bit about you know, pillar, the Pillar for those who may not know. That's absolutely right. We, you know, it's free to read. It's free to sign up. You can receive all of our content. You can receive our twice weekly newsletters that uh, one my colleague Jenny Flynn writes on Tuesday and one that I write on Friday. 
Um, all of it is for free. Uh, we obviously encourage and uh, appreciate it when people sign up and pay the subscription fee of five bucks a month. But, you know, that is very much something that people are free to do or not because we really do consider the journalistic work we're doing at the Pillar to be a service. Uh, we want it to be a yeah. service to the church. And, and part of that is making as much of our work free to air as we possibly can so that, um, and as we've heard from um, people we know who have been reading us, Religious communities, people like that, for whom $5 a month is a lot or too much, yeah. uh, they still have access. Hey, uh, just a final thought. What's coming up this week in the Pillar? Anything interesting to have people check out? Well, um, J.D. and I are both in Baltimore right now for the bishops' meeting. We are going to be here all week. We will be doing our best to cover it blow-by-blow blow, uh, live. J.D. is going to be live-tweeting the conference, uh, though at least the public sessions of it, as he always does. We'll have end-of-day roundups up at the pillar, and we will be doing our best to bring you the you know parsing of uh, parsing of the inside baseball exchanges from the floor of the conference. That you know, there's often a lot of subtext in some of these debates, and we will be doing our best to bring you the analysis to explain it all for them. And I love it because this can be inside baseball for a lot of people, <laughs> you know, so that's something that's pretty concise and clear. I think it's important. And, uh, hey, I appreciate what you do. And thank you for being here today. Thanks for making time uh, with me. I, I always appreciate our exchange. Keep up your really important work. Uh, look forward to seeing what comes up next. I really appreciate that. And thank you so much for having me. You got it. That's Ed Condon. And, again, please check out The Pillar. I've been talking about it a lot lately. Loved what they did last week as they uh, – took a look. They dove into uh, attitudes regarding the church and so much more. They did a fascinating study. Um, Ed Condon, of course, is the one of the co-founders of that site, and uh, I just believe in supporting good Catholic work, so you can check that out. I, I need to take a short break. When we come back, let's talk a little bit more. I think we should talk a little bit uh, about the Eucharist. And of course, if you want to join me, you're welcome to. Don't forget, in about 20 minutes, we will pray the chaplet of divine mercy. We will pray that beautiful prayer together. And if you have an intention, if you have a need, if you have a particular desire, I'm giving you a heads up today. Um, you can try to get in, you know, the number here. Um, if you have a loved one that's outside of our broadcast range, maybe they're not in the city you're listening to, they can always go online to relevantradio.com and listen right on the website or I would recommend the mobile app. If you go to relevantradio.com, if you go to the Google Play Store or the App Store for, for Apple, you, you can download Relevant Radio's app. It's phenomenal. Filled with prayers and, you know, there's commentary, there's news. Uh, the thing I use the most for is listening to the programming. You can stream it live. You can listen to other programs on it as well. But, you know, I know businesses can be tough. Maybe somebody you love is sick. Uh, you know, maybe you're separated due to work. What a great way to unify. There's a... Uh, there's a man in England who's been a guest on the program, a very uh, wonderful writer. His name's Kevin Turley. Uh, and he listens along with his wife in, uh, in England to us every evening. And, um, you know, so we may be separated uh, physically, geographically, but not by prayer and not by, not by technology, right? And by the way, it's six hours later over there if you are in the central time zone. So you can do the math if you're in the Pacific or the, the Eastern So. Uh, it's starting to get late. Anyway, let me take a short pause. When we come back, you and I will talk more. This is the Drew Mariani Show. Listen in to the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. I have a friend who is dying. Where we're here for you. Here for my children. Every afternoon at 4 Eastern, 1 Pacific. Uh, that's what I'm praying for. On Relevant Radio. Hi, Drew Mariani here. 
Hey, I am traveling to the Holy Land in February with our underwriting sponsor, Nativity Pilgrimage. Information is available at relevantradio.com slash holyland. That's relevantradio.com slash holyland. The hope lives here. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Well, thank you for joining us. It's always good to talk with you and hang out with you. Thank you for allowing me to be part of your afternoon. As I said, coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll pray. Lots of uh, wonderful prayers being answered in this chaplet. Please tell others and please be sure and, and join me. I'd love to pray with you. It's a really is it's a privilege for me. It really is to be able to you know, just just share that that moment uh, you and I together in in prayer. I think it's it's beautiful. It's powerful, and I think it's. Uh, I don't know. I think it's unique. You don't see a whole lot of this, do you, happening around the country. I, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about the Eucharist. St. Faustina had many, many encounters with the Eucharist. But before I do, before I share what she had to say, I, I thought I would share a little bit also just what some of the, the great saints had uh, in terms of encounters with the Eucharist. And I'd love to hear yours. Maybe, maybe you're a convert. I'd love to, to hear what the Eucharist was like for you. I mean, how did it bring about a transformation in your own life? Did you ever have a Eucharistic experience? Did it bring about a radical conversion in your own life? I would love to hear your own story if uh, the Eucharist brought you healing, brought a miracle in your life. Uh, feel free to go ahead and to, to share that with me, okay? Because uh, I think those types of testimonies are, are incredibly powerful. Uh, you know, Holy Communion is um, is powerful on so many levels. You know, I often talk to you about how St. Faustina said, the Lord told her that he was not a, a dead object. You know, he told her that people don't seem to understand that this sacrament, this gift that you and I have, that we could get every day if we want to, is his real presence. That it's really, truly him. You know, he told Faustina, he says, when I come to a human heart, you know, when, when they receive me in, in communion, he says, my hands are full of all kinds of graces, which I want to give to the soul. But souls, they pay no attention to me. They leave me to myself. They busy themselves with other things. And this is the line that always struck me. I know I've shared this with you before, but he says, they treat me like I am a dead object. And it really is, it's, it's a sad reality because your disposition, your desire for the Eucharist really affects the amount of graces that you receive. And next time you go to communion, and just think about this, are, are you going up, are you not paying attention during mass, are you not praying deeply during those words of, of consecration, during the liturgy of the Eucharist, are you kind of tuned down, are you walking up the aisle, can't wait to get out the back door after receiving the Eucharist? Are you, are you recognizing the fact that God is waiting for you there? And he's got a, he says, my hands are full of all kinds of graces. Who wouldn't want those graces? But apparently you and I sometimes don't, right? Because sometimes uh, we are not participating at the level of intensity that I think we should be. And I think it's unfortunate people treat the Lord as a dead object. You know, he told Faustina that in, in, in her diary entry. You know, the church teaches very clearly that at the moment of consecration during mass at the bread and wine on the altar, they become, you know, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and back, I think it was in the 
16th century, I think 1550, somewhere around there, the Council of Trent took place. And, you know, it, it condemned this idea that Christ is present only in the elements as a sign, or, you know, Christ is received only spiritually. I had a friend, and I've shared this story before, who always just believed that Christ was, this was a symbol of his true presence. But scripture is so clear, right? You got to stand on the words of John 6, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And I'm the bread of life. Your ancestors, they ate manna in the wilderness and they died. But this is the bread that comes down from heaven, that a man may eat of it and never die. This is the food of eternal life, guys. He says, I am the living bread, which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. It's a hard concept for a lot of non-Catholics, I think, to get their head around. I've, I've got some um, some friends who are not Catholic, and quite often these issues, you know, they, they come up. Um, this is spiritual food, and I'll tell you what, if you're dealing with a spiritual warfare, uh, I'll share something with you that I think is important. Maybe you're, you're dealing with some anguish in your life. Maybe you're dealing with a depressive spirit. Maybe you are dealing with a proclivity or an addiction. St. John Christosom, uh, he taught that those who receive communion worthily, uh, so if, if you make sure that you are properly disposed, you, you've gone to confession, right? You're detached from that sin. This great saint said, if you receive communion worthily, you know what you are? You are a terror to demons. You are a terror to demons. And I was struck by that because Our Lady, one of her apparitions once said that the soul who prays does not fear the future, right? When you pray, when you're in communion with God, you don't, you don't worry about tomorrow. You, you live in the now, right? You, not that you should not prepare for tomorrow, but, but you don't let fear no longer takes control because you know that God can do anything, right? The one who prays does not fear the future. But then she went on to say, she said, the one who fasts does not fear evil. So I think prayer and fasting are two powerful combinations. Worthy reception, St. John Chrysostom said, you know, allows you to become a terror to demons. And, and that Eucharist is such a powerful sacrament. It brings you closer to God. It invites you, you know, well, you invite him, his presence into your very body by receiving him. And St. John, he knew that, um, you know, he knew this intimately. One of his homilies on the Eucharist power to drive uh, away uh, away demons, um, he said this. He said, let us then return from that table like lions, breathing fire, having become terrible to the devil, thinking on our head and on the love which Jesus has shown us. And you know, St. John Chrysostom explained why we become terrible to the evil one, why the why we are the terror of uh, of demons after you receive the Eucharist, he says, because this blood, if it's rightly taken, he he writes, it drives away devils, it keeps them far from you, while it calls to us angels and the Lord of angels, for wherever they see the Lord's blood, devils flee and angels run together. Uh, honestly, I'll tell you, I try to be a daily communicant. You know, I try to go to Mass every day. And I'm not saying that in a braggadocious way. I'm not saying that to get any kudos or any pats on my back. And I, I invite you to do the same thing. You might say, gosh, Drew, Sunday Mass is so boring. It's so long. Tr try going to a daily Mass. Quite often, the, the dynamic of that Mass is a little bit different. 
But but even if you find it boring, it, it's about what you put into it. How deep is your prayer? How, how, how focused are you on what the Lord is saying to you there? And then reflect on what happens when you receive the Eucharist. Who doesn't want angels drawn to them, right? And I love what he said. You know, the blood, uh, the Lord's blood, you know, it causes devils to flee and angels to run together. I, who doesn't want to be surrounded by angels? Who doesn't want the demonic, the temptation, the the obsessions, right? The proclivities, whatever it might be, to have an extra, you know, armor against. I mean, you don't know your day or your hour. You don't know when God's going to call you home. We should live every day and every moment for God, and this should be as though we're living this day uh, for our, as though it was our last. Um, if you knew you were dying today, I'm sure you'd want to receive the Eucharist. I'm sure you'd want your soul right. I don't know why we put it off as though we'll know when that moment's going to come and we're going to have plenty of time to do it. And you might, you might be slow, dying a slow death and may have a priest at your bedside and that's a blessing. Um, but you may not, you know, you may not. Christism says that the blood poured forth washes clean all the world, that the blood is the salvation of our souls, that the soul is washed by this beautiful uh, by this inflamed um, gift that causes our understanding to be more bright than fire and our souls more beaming than gold. This blood was poured forth and made heaven accessible. I love it. It's St. John Chrysostom. So I, I don't think it comes any surprise that the, the devil will often lead people away from mass. And I think we see that today. That's why, look, I'm hopeful for the future. I'll go back to this point. Uh, and I, let's pray the chaplet coming up. Let, let's pray for the bishops today who are, who are having this this conference right now, and there will be a Eucharistic revival. There's going to be a lot of talk. Let's pray for Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi. Let's pray for uh, our family members. Let's pray for our spouses, our siblings, our children who are not receiving the Lord worthily, you know, who don't even understand or respect the true presence. I, I think one of the great deceptions of our day, I really do, I think this is why there's so much chaos, so much division in the country today. And even in the world, is because we don't have God in our lives. He's not centric anymore. We're not Christocentric. We don't rely on God. We rely on, on everything else, right? And we rely on the government. We rely on our bank accounts. We rely on the healthcare system. We rely on whatever. So does it surprise you, you know, that, that the devil would lead people away from mass? You know, no. He understands you're a terror when you receive it. And when you receive communion, you know, your heart changes, your attitudes change, you th you see things differently, you know, you're fortified. You know, th this is also why exorcists, you know, and I, I've done a lot on spiritual warfare on the program here, because I, I think so often we don't acknowledge Satan. I think that, and I don't want to give him too much power, because Christ is infinitely more powerful, but I think one of the great lies, one of the great deceptions of the great deceiver is the fact he doesn't exist. You know, I, I really believe that. That's why exorcists will advise people who are oppressed, not possessed, but I'm, I'm sure possessed too, but oppressed. There's different levels of, of, of uh, demonic, you know, uh, activity, if you will. You know, you've got, you've got temptation that comes, right? And then you have um, uh, obsession and then oppression, and then you have full-flown possession. Um, the exorcists say if, if you're feeling tempted, if you are feeling oppressed by a demon, maybe you're suffering with great anxiety or depression, maybe you are dealing with, you know, the struggle with pornography or some sort of 
chemical addiction, maybe, you know, it's lust or infidelity, whatever it is, right? Whatever is really Satan's got his way into your life. Go to, go, go to confession first, okay? First and foremost, I would really encourage you to do that. But then secondly, start receiving the Eucharist frequently. Start today if you can. If not, start tomorrow. And, and then you can circle back to me, and I guarantee you, there's no doubt in my mind, none, that your life will change, that those demonic attacks, they're going to be mitigated, that you're going to see things very differently, and life for you will be very different. So if you want to fend off spiritual attacks, go to Mass, okay? Go to Mass, receive Jesus worthily. This is key. Don't treat him as a dead object, right? His hands are full of grace. He wants to give them to your soul. That's what he told Faustina. Invite him in. Invite him into your soul. Ask him to drive away any evil presence still lurking there. I'm telling you, life will change. I think once the bishops come out, we've got this clear perspective on worthy reception, whether it goes for politicians or us personally, I think things are going to change. I think when people truly understand what's being taught, what's being given to us, I think churches are going to fill up. And I think families are going to change. And I think lives are going to change. I think people are going to come back to the church. I think our country is going to be a better place. I, I, I really, really do. You know, now daily mass might be too hard. You just, Drew, I work every day. Or I got to get the kids off to school. Um, can you go, you know, once more a week, you know, go Sunday and maybe sometime during the week. Can you do it twice a week? You know, I, there are masses all over. You can go at night, you can go in the afternoon, you can go in the morning. Make that sacrifice and watch the transforming effect of it. You know, St. Faustina, um, she said that, that devotion to the Holy Eucharist, it's devotion to Christ himself. And do you love Jesus? Do you love Christ? Do you want him to be an intimate part of your life? I know you do. I do. Devotion to the Eucharist is devotion to Christ himself, present throughout the centuries. You know, the Catholic Church teaches, and again, in the, in the catechism, I think it's, it's Catechism Entry 1324, and you can look them up. It says, in the Eucharist, you know, is contained the, the whole spiritual good of the church, the whole spiritual good. I just, I, I just love it. You know, Faustina would go to adoration, and when in adoration, uh, she would see rays issuing from the monstrance and spreading throughout the church. Sometimes it would last throughout the entire service. She would see people who were more worthy of receiving the Eucharist being affected differently by it. Uh, she had such profound Eucharistic experiences, and in the days ahead, I'll probably share much more with you about St. Faustina and her devotion there. But let me invite you to do this. Why don't you join me for prayer right now? All right, I, if you want to get in, here's the number. It's 888-914-9149. I'd love to pray with you. I'd ask you to pray for me, okay? And uh, let's pray for our church. Let's pray for our leaders. Let's pray for this revitalization that the country so desperately needs. Let's pray that you and I are ready when we draw our final breath. I don't know when God's going to call me home, when he's going to call you home. I sure hope I meet him as a merciful Savior. We'll pray when I return. 